Today I'm talking to Rox. His motto is building cool shit every day until I achieve my dreams. And cool shit he is building. He's behind thumbnailtest.com, a very interesting SaaS business that competes with YouTube. He recently had some acquisition news. I'm going to talk to him about that and about how hard it is to deal with the reality of giving up your business as a founder. This episode is sponsored by acquire.com. More on that later. Now here's Rox. Welcome to the show. Last time we talked on your Twitch stream. That was really cool. We turned that into a four-hour conversation. Let's see how long we'll chat today. Rox, what's happening in your life right now? Oh my God. So good to hear from you, buddy. Uh, it's been too long. Two years, man. Crazy. Uh, what's happened in the past two years? I started and sold thumbnailtest.com, uh, my first big acquisition. Uh, I met my girlfriend who I've been dating for about two years now. Our anniversary is like next week, uh, April in, uh, the legend. Um, let's see. I worked for Mr. Beast for a few months. I built a bunch of creator tools that did not succeed. <laughs> uh, other than thumbnail tests. Uh, I moved to, I moved out of Thailand. I moved to New York, to Portugal, to San Francisco, to London for a little bit. Um, hanging out in London now. And yeah, I'm negotiating my, my next big move. The next big, uh, next big business play from Rocks Codes. That is, I think that's the big two year update. <laughs> that, is, that is a bizarre amount of things to do, right? Like, <laughs> any, any of these things would already be a massive win for anybody, right? And then combination, man, that's really cool. I don't even know what to start with. Like we had April in on the show and she's spectacular, right? So good choice right there. Perfect. I, I'm a user of thumbnailtest.com. So that's a spectacular product. Perfect. I love Nomad. So cool. Like you're getting around. <laughs> man, man like everything is really cool. But the, the whole Mr. Beast thing, maybe I, we can start with that because that is something that I just cannot skip. Right. As, as somebody who is a, a YouTube aficionado. And, uh, whenever, for, for some reason, whenever my, my browser logs me out of YouTube, you know, you, you go to the default YouTube page. The first video is always Mr. Beast, right? That's, that's always what it is. So how did that happen? Cause I think like working for him and his team probably is something that a lot of people on YouTube are interested in. How did you get that? Yeah. Uh, they found me on Twitter and Twitch. So context, I used to live stream coding, as you know, well, uh, and I haven't been doing that very much. Like I kind of haven't done a stream in probably a year about uh but they found me on twitter like a month after i put out thumbnail test like so early and who would future be my boss saw me tweeting about thumbnail test then watched me stream building thumbnail test for like two hours then dm me on twitter and was like hey do you want a job and want to come work for mr reese we pay well and uh at first i said no actually and i was like you know that's like, you know, I got a bunch of, cause it's like, I don't, I don't want to be an employee, you know, and I know this is going to be an employee, but you know, we talked about it. We went back and forth and I was like, you know, maybe there's a crazy opportunity here. Maybe I could start like an even bigger YouTube tools business with them. Maybe we could do this. Maybe we could do that. Uh, so they do three month trials. So I decided, okay, you know what? I can do three months. Let's try three months. And, uh, I flew out to Greenville, North Carolina, where only they are. And, uh, uh, I built, you know, internal secret tools for them for a little while, did a lot of experiments. 
and at the end of the three months, decided not to stick with it, uh, that I still wanted to go back off on my own and continue thumbnail tests, which, as we now know, was probably a good call. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, amazing people over there. Very smart, very capable. Uh, yeah, but just not what I wanted to do long term, I think, I realized. Yeah, that that stands out. I right? think like the even just your initial reaction as a founder of I don't know, like other people would jump at that opportunity immediately. Like they would already be typing yes, just as that other person told them a story or whatever. Right? It's some people would would have no issue at all with making this uh, the next thing. But for somebody who's building a project, I kind of get it. I get it. You you want to see your own thing succeed, right? Yeah, and at some point, it's like I don't do a lot of math. But if you do the napkin math, you kind of realize like, you know, pretty much what I realized with thumbnail tests is kind of like, I only have to get to so much MRR on a product that I can then exit to make X dollars. And if I stay here, the max I'll ever make is, you know, half of X dollars. So even like, you know, a moderately successful indie hacker uh, or like medium successful indie hacker probably ends up getting more. and not to say everything is dollars, but it's kind of just this thing of like, well, how much am I using my potential? I guess, you know, am I going into a place where I will be 100% like of my, you know, I guess potential, like a hundred percent of what I could ever do is going to happen here. Or is it going to be, you know, 10% or 20%, you know, like if I were there, I was going to be coding, you know, I was going to always be coding and I was going to be like leading coders at most. And, you know, at some point I had realized even like, I don't want to code all the time in the long run. Like I actually got pretty burnt out on coding. And so even things just like that, you come to those conclusions, you know, and like, uh, you probably know Patty Galloway, uh, potentially who's a very, very, like probably one of the best YouTube consultants in the world. Uh, for those who don't know, you know, I chatted with him when I was going to work for, uh, Jimmy and team and he had pretty much come to similar conclusions And he had basically said, like, you know, he worked with them for a while and had also decided to go off on his own, realizing, you know, at some point it doesn't always add up, which isn't to say that Mr. Beast team doesn't pay super well or that they don't have like good incentive structure or any of those things. For 99.9% of people, it's an amazing opportunity. Uh, But I have this weird thing in life of I keep accidentally living other people's dreams uh, (laughs) and I'm still trying to get to the point of living my own. That's funny. Uh, Yeah, that's the story of employment. Like in in a nutshell, that's really what it is. Until you realize that you could also live your own dream, which then then it becomes the nightmare kind of situation in which we don't want to find ourselves in, right? That's, yeah, man. One thing stands out here, or of course, several things stand out. Like the the fact that you stopped streaming kind of feels related to burnout and coding. But we can we can dive into that at at some other point. What I what I kind of want to dive in first because you were talking about being a nomad and traveling from place to place. You, you were saying like you have to get to a certain point of MRR for you to feel this makes sense to to build or to exit to to be acquired with. Then then that is a strong enough case. Did that change depending on the location that you were in? Because living in San Francisco requires a totally different amount of money to make from any project compared to somewhere in Thailand or other places in, in Southeast Asia. Oh, yeah. That's an interesting question. I mean, for sure, it, it changes how you do the math. Because, you know, I sold for, let's say, like low to mid six figures, right? Uh, that 
after tax, after lawyer fees, after giving a chunk to my dev because he was with me the whole time, after paying off all the bills I accrued from two months of not getting paid because I cut my own income because acquisitions are weird. Uh, after all that, I'm ending with maybe enough money to pay for like my girlfriend and my expenses for like a couple years out here, you know, a few years if we're generous, right? Which is, it's it's some freedom. It is. And I don't want to like, you know, misjudge that, but it doesn't feel like that much more freedom than I've ever had. Right. I didn't make millions. You know, I'm not sitting on enough money that for the rest of my life, I don't have to worry. But if I were in Thailand and I was spending a thousand dollars a month, yeah. Okay. I could probably have bought myself five, 10 years or something. You know, so it is, it is different, but I, I think it's always in context, right? I've realized that the life I want happens to be out here. Like, it's just, this is the place for me. I love San Francisco so much. Uh, and I love the people out here and the opportunity out here. And that's worth every penny to me. And I'd rather spend a lot and live where I want to and live the life that I want to, as opposed to live cheaply and then, you know, hunker down on every dollar I have. You know? um, that, yeah. That is, that, that feels like a slightly opposed to the common indie hacker, digital nomad kind of theme that you find a lot on Twitter, right? Like, and, and nothing against either choice. Obviously, a personal choice is a personal choice. But you hear Peter Levels as an example, right? Telling a lot of people that it's, it's very easy to go to, I don't know, Bali. I don't know if Bali is still the case, but you know, a place in Southeast Asia where it's kind of cheap. You have a lot of other founders who have the same dream and want to do the same thing, make the same thing happen. And uh, you live a different life. You live a very inexpensive life. And any business you build very quickly is not just revenue positive, like profitable, but it can actually sustain you. Whereas that number is quite different if you go to the United States, Silicon Valley in particular, or even Canada where I live, right? It, it takes a lot more money to make money on a project like this, just from the living expenses that you have. So did you choose San Francisco for for the people <laughs> or what what was it cuz that is an expensive place yeah i got burnt out on the traveling stuff like i really i, I think i'm kind of over the nomad life and i think like pete has the numbers i think the average nomad is like 2 or 3 years so i did it for like a couple of years um or like maybe a year and a half no actually yeah like a couple of years um and so i i think i hit pretty standard you know time when i wanted to exit so i knew i wanted to be somewhere but yeah i think the big thing i realized was like it's it's always been the people like even when i went to thailand it was to be around pete it was to be around javi and, and andre and everybody out there you know and then when i went to portugal it was the same thing to like meet them all again and be around them all again and i think i identify a little bit more with the sf world than with the indie hacker world like i love the bootstrapping and i love the you know just ship it kind of mentality and everything but i think i also have like aspirations that are beyond you know make a million dollar business and then like life's good. And then I do nothing, you know, uh, which isn't to say like, it, I don't want to minimize indie hacking to that, but it is to say most people's aspiration with indie hacking is to pay their bills. Uh, like that's generally where you start. And then like to live a better life by continuing to pay your bills. Uh, and then maybe an exit for me, it's, you know, indie hacking was always supposed to just be a, a, a stepping stone to playing the bigger games and trying for the bajillions of dollars. And you just, you come to SF and you go to a random party and you meet guys worth hundreds of millions to billions of dollars. You shake random hands and all of a sudden, like your whole life can change in a conversation. And that didn't feel as true when I was doing all the nomad stuff. And 
as a guy, and I think this is maybe like a perspective you really get when you're in content a lot, is like, it's just like you're one video off from your whole life changing. You're one partnership off from your whole life changing. You know, like any one of these things could completely shift everything for you. So that net opportunity is is just so high. And the people here are all trying so goddamn hard. Like, it's not even like in Thailand where it's like, oh, there's the indie hackers and then there's everybody. It's like, no, everybody's the fucking startup people here. Like, it's crazy. Uh, so, yeah, it's just like, it, it does wonders for the mental and it does wonders for the opportunity, you know? Like, I've met people with channels that have 14 million subscribers just at a random party here and then we became friends and now I text them sometimes, you know? And that's just like, Sure, that the thumbnail test also brought me that, but rarely in real life, you know. But yeah, it's just that I, I just haven't found anything else like this, you know. Uh, so this this is the place for me. That makes perfect sense. You you chose the the potential of opportunity, right? Like the the fact that just through serendipity you might run into the right person at the right time that also has not only the intention to make it big, but also is themselves in a network. That allows them to get to that point. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Honestly, my story with Silicon Valley is quite similar. I was there like 2012, 2013. My first ever like real thing that I did after university where I dropped out twice. Great, great skills right there. Like was was uh, finding finding work for a company in in, in San Francisco. And uh, even though I worked remotely for them from Germany, it was still, I visited on occasion. And the first time I was there, like two days into my first visit, I was sitting on a couch just having beers with like a product manager from Facebook, which was bizarre. Like for somebody who grew up in Germany and having had no contact to this community of people whatsoever, being thrown in there and then just like chilling and talking about the Africa expansion, you know, that kind of stuff. Just it, it felt it felt surreal because it was like this is this is access that nobody really has. And if you get there you have a chance to maybe have that kind of access. So I very much understand this, this serendipitous thing that you're moving into. Makes perfect sense to me. And I guess the whole stepping stone approach, in particular, Rob Walling was on the show here and explained the the whole stair-stepping, right? Where you start with info products or services or something, or you buy, build plugins, and then you go to your own SaaS, and from there you go to something much bigger. It's taking little tiny steps that build on top of each other at a time. So that being said, what is your next step here? Like, what is the step after building and exiting a SaaS business with the numbers that you just mentioned? What's the next thing? Yeah, uh, great question. So I am pursuing something I've wanted to pursue for a while. Uh, being in creator economy for a long time, you really get a sense of the potential of distribution, uh, which we've seen a lot with physical products. Mr. Beast has Feastables, Logan Paul and KSI have Prime, their uh, hydration drink. Uh, Ember Chamberlain has Chamberlain Coffee. So many of these businesses doing millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, literal billions in the case of like Prime. Uh, it, I want to try and endeavor to do software in the same way. So creator-led software or, you know, uh, creator-led brand that is software. So I'm currently negotiating the exact terms, but uh, with intent to partner with a very large creator to build software to sell to their audience and beyond, not to sound like Buzz Lightyear, uh, but to see if I can 
in a matter of months replicate what has previously taken me years. Um, and like you said, those kind of like stair step levels in creator economy, it's very similar where it's like AdSense is a hundred, you know, the like course level, it's like 100 level is AdSense. And then 200 level is, you know, you sell some kind of like course or education. Uh, 300 is like coaching personal or a community 400, 500. You start to talk about a brand that could be acquired. Like 400 is a brand and a product. 500 is an acqui- a product that could be acquired. So it's a product separate from your name that happens to use your name. And that's the space that I really am trying to play in is can I build software that is multiplied by the people I partner with uh, and then still stand alone, is valuable, is powerful, has legs, and is a full business that could then be sold? Uh, and can I go from making hundreds of thousands to making millions uh, in life by taking that and then maybe over the next five, 10 years, taking it to its absolute, you know, 1 million percent and maybe get to the crazy numbers I'm hoping for in life, you know? That is so awesome. What, what a, what an interesting idea. Like it's, that's something I've literally never thought about, like doing this, this kind of, which is probably great for you because otherwise you would have some competition. Love to hear it. Love to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this, this is a, a, a wonderful idea because I, I do, I do know, know all of these brands you just mentioned, right? The, the physical products, the feastables and the prime and all that stuff. You just cannot escape this because the, these creators are so strong at putting out the word. So in a world that more and more becomes digital, I mean, let's just look at the whole Apple Vision Pro thing and how it's perceived, right? Like we, we were all laughing at uh, VR headsets for the longest time. And all of a sudden people find actual use cases for this. And people are still laughing because vitriol exists on the internet. But uh, there, there are more and more people who are willing to give this a shot. And anything in that world uh, is effectively software. So you're, I'm not saying you should do VR stuff all the time, but it, it, I think there's a tendency, right? The people's adoption of AI, people's adoption of VR, it becomes a thing that people use because it's actually useful for the very first time and approachable. So you building something there, it's interesting. I kind of want to ask you more about it. I just, it, it seems like you're kind of hesitant to tell me the details, which is fine because if you're still working on it, but where, where is it? Where is that going? Like, can you exemplify it maybe? I'll tell you my like 12 month plan on this. Uh, I'm partnering with a creator who has a little bit of a wider brand. So they're not too niche down and I'm treating it as a product studio with the intent of basically creating like a validation engine that just figures out if something could sell, could sell to his audience, could sell past his audience. Right. Um, and if those things are true, then it's a thing that we pursue. Right. Uh, so a lot of early testing, a lot of like, you know, A-B testing on landing pages and pre-sales and this and that, all of that. Uh, I'm starting with base hits. So the creator has sold products before. We're going to try and digitize those. And that's going to be, you know, the first couple of months and see how much revenue we can pull from that and then use that to fund the next projects. Um, I'm not writing the code for this. I have an amazing engineer friend that I brought on uh, who is functionally my CTO and who's going to get a bunch of, uh, uh, a good deal, let's say. Uh, (laughs) um, Excuse me. And hopefully, if all goes well, the idea is kind of like have him build MVPs and like V1s, put those out into the world. If they start succeeding, bring on another dev to run and maintain that, keep that going. And 
as that makes more profit, it becomes its own business. And then my main guy goes on to the next one and starts building on to the next one. And we just keep launching and seeing what works. And if something really starts to break out, then we'll devote all the resources back to that kind of thing. But I'm treating this, I don't want to treat it like I have a bunch of VC money, right? Like I want to break even on the year. That's the plan. But I want to try and like spend a million and make a million. You know, that's kind of like the the outline of it. And if I can pull that off and have broken even on making a ton of software with very expensive software engineers uh, in several different products, that's a huge deal. Um, but it's tough. There's not a lot of like case studies to follow here. It's it's a little bit like Blue Ocean or Greenfield or whatever buzzword you want to use for it. <laughs> take another um, color and another yeah, noun. take another color. Orange, <laughs> meadow. Uh, <laughs> But honestly, it's really exciting to me because I would love to feel like I was one of the first to pull it off. Well, and I'm sure someone in the comments is going to know. They're going to be like, oh, but, you know, insert guy did insert thing and insert other guy did insert other thing. And this fitness guy did this fitness app. And it's like, yeah, that's 300 level. But it's just it's so interesting to me because it intuitively feels like it should work. But I've already found there to be a lot of complexity, uh, even just before I've really gotten sprinting on it what kind of complexity are you talking about here finding the creator way harder than people think a uh getting a good enough idea that will actually sell to the audience very tough um nine out of ten times Um, and you end up boiling down to it just being education again most of the time building a thing that is not education is the hard thing um the evaluation of products so like that iteration like what that looks like without incidentally burning the audience you know on trying to sell them too much or ask them too many questions you know you only get so many hits and you know email list telegram group youtube channel each thing again they are finite resources to some extent because if you post a hundred YouTube shorts advertising your product, everybody's going to unsubscribe, you know, and you can kill yourself. So you, the brand risk overall is a big thing. The quality bar, you can't really be super indie hacker about it. You can't just make the first version really crappy and put it out into the world. It's got millions of followers worth of brand tied to it. So it has to be good. So if you usually can launch at like a five out of 10 quality, you kind of need to be hitting a seven or an eight before you can even be out the door with this, which sucks. So it means it's a little more expensive. You need a little more of a design eye or a designer. Um, So I'm finding that to be tough. Uh, Yeah, there's just a lot. There's a lot of little pieces and a lot of big pieces. But the biggest one I found was finding a creator who's going to care. You know, finding someone for whom this isn't just like a course that goes out and then it's there. You know, your worst nightmare is you work on something for two months with some guy, you soft launch it to like, let's say just their newsletter or they just tweet it out. The reception isn't great and they cancel the whole project and you lost two months of your life. Yeah. So that's why we came into this with the product studio mindset, because that way, like the failure is baked in the, the throwing away of things is baked in. And so again, it's like slowly as I find these things out, I shift and I adjust. Like initially I wasn't going to do the product studio concept. It was just going to be, Hey, let's build X together. Like, let's just decide on a thing and let's build that thing. Uh, but we moved to this, you know, I've, pitched a lot of creators you know i've been doing this for like the past year i've been lightly pitching creators that i know on this concept and it wasn't until you know a few months ago that i really found someone where i was like okay i think you have the right priority i think you will care uh which is my number one thing um 
Yeah. So it's just complicated. You're not in nearly as much control and, you know, coming from indie hacking when it's like, ah, I am the everything, uh, going to cool. I, somebody else is going to be how this gets to the world to some extent. I'm going to need to kind of, you know, be on the same page with them and keep them excited and like maintain this other person's energy about a thing. It's tough. Yeah, yeah, that that's an interesting point. Like the the kind of psychosocial part of this, where you 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 need to actually motivate somebody who's not necessarily a software person, right, to care about software because of the implications that it might have for their audience. Let's maybe talk about risk a little bit here, because you just mentioned brand risk as one of the big things. How much risk do you have as the person as as in your partnership, right? As the, the the software, the maker is, is there more risk than an indie hacker would have, or even less? Like it kind of feels like you have some kind of cushion in, in the sense that that creator has budget that you can tap into, even though you still built these kind of bootstrappy things inside of that. It kind of feels like that, but it's, it's not VC money, right? You can't just frivolously spend it and hope for mass market domination. So what, what's risk, the risk distribution for you there? That's a great question. Um, I it's it's gonna be if somebody else tried to do what I'm doing, I don't know that they would have the same conditions I do. Uh right? If you approach a different creator with a different deal, all of this stuff, like again, if you call it greenfield or whatever, uh is very like there isn't precedent very much. There's these guys that have done like some of the fitness apps in the world and everything. And they're walking around going to creators and saying, we'll fund the whole project 50, 50, if you'll launch it to our parameters, uh, like we'll pay the whole thing. They'll pay for a hundred percent and then split equity 50, 50. So that's probably like the bar to compare yourself to. That's what like the big dev shop guys who have tried maybe like more than 400 ish level of what I'm doing, aiming to do. That's what they've done. I am in a bit of a better scenario, so I don't have much risk. And even if I did have more risk, I just sold thumbnail tests. So as a human, my risk is relatively low. Um, but I will say, I, in some ways, have chosen to take on more risk for the potential of more upside. But I think by most metrics, most people if they saw all the details of the deal would not say I was in a particularly risky scenario. Like I should be fine. Uh, I'm not getting $0. Um, I have given myself a non-trivial salary, but it's also not really being treated as investment. Like there's a reason I want to break even, you know, I want to basically be able to have given everything back and feel like we're just, you know, executing on profit. I don't want to draw down too much. Um, And anything that I take will eventually be paid back can say that much so it's very much not investment it's more of if anything like <laughs> debt is, is a closer comparison to the kind of structure that we'll have so from a from a founder perspective what i'm curious at b- building this product studio like how tight are you to that creator like i'm just you know how do you avoid the whole whale situation where you have just this one person that gives you work you know and you you really have to make it work for them. Do you expect to kind of branch out, or do you want to really focus on this creator for now? That's a great question. Um, focus on this creator for sure. Uh, I am a hundred percent in on this uh, on this one person, and I'm comfortable with that. 
based on everything I said earlier of me thinking this is the right person to partner with. And the, sorry, repeat the second half of the question. <laughs> Let me think what I ask. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Well, it, it's like, how, how do you avoid like being over, over dependent on, on oh, that particular? The framing of our partnership is reversed from what one would expect. I bring ideas. We both have to agree on an idea before it goes out. Right. So I could say no to an idea they have. They can say no to an idea I have. And, but if we both agree on something, that's the thing that goes through. Um, so, and that's obviously because, you know, they don't want me to go build, you know, a porn website and then put it under their brand. And then right, just sure. be like, look, we're making so much money, you know, like, yeah. uh, which is super fair. Um, and obviously, I don't want to be at their whim. Right. So I'm not being treated like a dev shop. I am, you know, their entire product arm as far as digital products could ever be. And, you know, depending on how it goes, future creators, if I did work with them, might end up coming in under this. Uh, because this is also like a very well-connected creator who might bring in more deal flow there. So that structure is going to be interesting. Um, so that's a little bit TBD on on how that goes. But like, I am comfortable enough and confident enough in this person's brand, and in particular, the growth I think their brand will continue to see over the next year, five years, that the opportunity for me of having the right to all of the digital products there is, is a big deal um, to some extent. Um, that's interesting. Like you, this, this sounds like a new, new gold rush mentality in a space that, uh, and, and I mean this in the best possible way, right? Like there, there is new, there are new claims to stake in this for software entrepreneurs. Like now that creators are starting to understand that there's value not just in making chocolate or energy drinks, or sorry, hydration drinks, just be precise, you know, like, uh, there's also value in creating products that keep an audience engaged and keep an audience virtually in the the influence sphere of an individual creator. I I wonder if you're going to set some kind of standard with this. I hope so, certainly for you, or at least that you that you are a subject matter expert in that field of being a software entrepreneur, that works with creators. That is a really, really interesting thing. I, I'm mesmerized by this. It's really cool. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know how much I'll be able to build in public. That's the only tough part. Yeah, that's. I, I was. I was wondering about that. Like how you you are in, in in some ways you already kind of retracted a little bit from streaming and that kind of stuff, which we should maybe dive into why you stopped streaming. But this is going to be so much harder, even in in the kind of secretive world of creators making choices, right? Yeah, it's. I hate keeping secrets. Like I, as a human, it feels like lying to me. And I'm so used to just like, I've always lived with my heart on my sleeve and you know, my numbers on my fucking website, you know, like uh, everything's just open, open, open. And like, you know, even with the acquisition, like the fact that I'm not allowed to say some things uh, like honestly really hurts. Like it's very difficult for me uh, emotionally. And I think, like, I don't think being 100% open is, like, this necessity in life. And I honestly do think, like, there are some downsides. And it's probably good to get to a point in my life where I have to get more mature about what I share in general. But it's definitely, like, it's it's personal growth that doesn't feel great. It, it's personal growth by necessity, not by preference. Uh, which, yeah, it's just rough. Like, even all of what I've said 
about the deal so far. I already don't know if I'm maybe saying too much about that. And and I can't know because we haven't struck the entire deal. Like right now, it's still conversations. There's no paperwork. I don't know what's going to happen. And when I know, I'll know. But, you know, it's like, I don't imagine a lot of creators are going to share their exact numbers until those numbers are so insane that it's, you know, non-relatable. It doesn't matter if Mr. Beast tells you he made a hundred million dollars selling chocolate. It doesn't matter if Logan Paul tells you he made a billion dollars in sales on, sorry, he sold a billion dollars of prime, not made a billion dollars. <laughs> it's very different. Yep. Uh, but those like outside of that, there are people who say they've made millions. There's people like Ali Abdal who will still like share their full year in numbers, which I think is beautiful. There's just as many who are like, don't tell us all. Nobody needs to know our numbers. And it's weird because I feel like it's normal to share numbers. But the reality of business is it absolutely is not. <laughs> you know, like 99% of people don't share anything. <laughs> it's it's just you keep your numbers and you're happy with them and life's good. That's the whole thing. And Twitter's not your main market. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that, that's a whole, that's a, that's a thing, right? Like not only is building in public seasonal, like it works for a certain stage of business and it kind of stops working the moment you grow to a size where the, your competitors have too much of an eye on you, right? And I, I would perfectly admit, admit the fact that building in public is not for everybody at all times, obviously, right? There, there is no, no silver. A bullet for for anything in business. It's a constantly evolving space. But particularly if you're not in a space where building public is normalized, and I think YouTube is well, occasionally that, but most of the time not. Right? There's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that is still heavily uh, choreographed. Right? It's not real behind the scenes. It's behind the scenes as content. So there the, the, there are layers to this. So if if that is not a space where you are expected to operate like this operating like it will confuse people to the point that for some reason which is so weird they don't trust you even though you are extremely transparent like there, there is so much more reason to trust you but the fact that you put trust so forward in a secretive world can quickly flip around so that's that's an interesting observation particularly also around exits and and acquisitions i remember that too like we have stipulations in our contract that i cannot talk about regarding our exit even though i would like to and I, I was also quite surprised by this, and I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna talk about it because you know when I want to keep the money, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a bizarre thing to, to see somebody else's fears or somebody else's you know risk judgment impact your own life. Uh, how, how does this feel for you? Like it sounds to me like you went through an acquisition, which was great, but it was also not that great. Can you tell me maybe more about your emotional state as it were and as it is? Dude, it's been so tough. I'm like, I'm a guy who gets sad. Let me be clear. And I personally feel like I have this problem. My friend has described it as catastrophizing my own life. So like, you know, I don't go from zero to a hundred in terms of happy, but I quickly go from zero to a hundred in terms of sad. Right. So like if something's bad in my head, it'll, it's, it's very easy for it to become very quickly, very bad, but you can say I kind of round up, round down. So like if it's under a 25, I can keep it to a zero. If it's over a 25, it jumps to a hundred and just like selling thumbnail test, man, every piece of it was just so stressful. The negotiations were so tough. I felt like, a bad person sometimes like 
I owed it to people to be making a certain deal or to not make a certain deal or to do something this way or that way or structure it this way or that way, even when I had options. Like, it made me feel like a bad person sometimes, like, just for even negotiating. And and I think that's just because it's hard for me to differentiate, like, business discussion from, like, human discussion. And they all, like, a lot of these people also, I will say, the building public really paid off in the acquisition because people trusted me inherently more so because I shared stuff. The only thing that they didn't trust so much was that I wouldn't share stuff, <laughs> which is like, yeah, okay, pretty fair, actually. <laughs> you know, I think that's a really good read <laughs> is I have trouble not sharing stuff, but I'll try. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, then once the deal was signed, you know, realizing I had agreed to things that were like going to be tough, you know, from signing the LOI to signing the actual contract was probably like a month. And that was my decision because I wanted to get lawyers. But like even getting lawyers, it's like you realize, oh, if I'm not the one who wrote the contract, I'm in a position of weakness by such a long shot because now I'm suggesting changes, right? They get to be the default and that makes the life that much harder with the contract. And so then there's all that emotion. And then, you know, I spent like eight grand on lawyers. And if I hadn't been very aggressive and very careful, I would have spent like 20. and that's like, you know, almost like that's closing in on, you know, uh, 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 let's just say a sizable percentage of the acquisition at that point. Right. Uh, which which sucks so much that like, you know, a whole number digit percentage of my acquisition went to paying lawyers, uh, which evidently is supposedly a regular thing. But usually that's on the size of millions, yeah, not on that, the size of you know, right. yeah. hundreds of thousands. Uh, so that horrible. And then you send them all the changes and then they feel terrible about it. Cause then they're like, Oh, Hey, the deal's going to go sideways because of paperwork, you know? And it's just like, Oh fuck. Okay. Like let's figure this out. So you figure it out, you get all the terms agreed to, but then you finally sign. And then everything that you, th- you, you think this contract's got to have everything in the world in it. And then the next day when you start the process, immediately you realize there's 10 things you don't know how to handle that are not clarified in this contract. And all of a sudden, like what was really tough for me, it was like, I still had all the costs on my credit cards, but I wasn't allowed to take revenue out because that revenue is technically theirs. The costs are also technically theirs, but uh, until I had finished transferring all the accounts, obviously they couldn't magically instantaneously update all the credit card info and everything. So, you know, they pay me back later. But for those several weeks and months, I had also been making no money because I couldn't take money out of the business starting when we signed that contract. So, you know, overnight I went from having like an income that paid my bills and more, but I don't have savings and I don't live like that. I all back in all that good stuff. I was like poor for a month and a half, two months. Like I was like, I pulled every dollar out of every backup. I pulled every dollar out of my bar mitzvah account from when I was 13, uh, which is a thing you're not supposed to touch until you're like 30 plus. I'm, I'm about to turn 26. Uh, and I had to like take a loan out against myself, which I've now paid back. I finally got paid. Thank God. But like, it felt like everything that could be bad was bad during it. And, and that's just me talking about the logistics and the money, but like, I would get angry. I would get into a deep, dark hole of depression. I would constantly think every day watching the business grow while I could take no money out of it. And the sale had not finalized. Like every single day during the acquisition, I regretted it. Even now, I feel like I still regret it. 
uh and it's it was it's just so tough because it's like i i there's some aspect of it that was like this tool was my baby right like this my whole life changed because i built this tool Mr. Beast thing happened because I built this tool. I've gone to all these conferences. This whole YouTube world knows about me. It's all because of this one tool. None of that happened without this, right? And I didn't realize it until I finally like signed the papers and everything, but like selling it really like felt like I just sold a piece of myself and so much fear and doubt have come in since. I um sorry. It's been so tough to to think that I've like sold my soul is kind of what it felt like, you know, like everything that I built, all of these relationships are no longer mine. This tool is no longer mine. A lot of these people who buy the tool based on me, based on like, oh, this guy worked for Mr. Beast. I trust him. Right. Like to have removed that now in some way feels like just inherently you know, like, am I betraying people by doing this? Like, am I selling out? You know, I know I didn't want to keep working on thumbnail test forever, but it could have become a side thing. I had hired an engineer. I was only working on it for a few hours a week, really. And a few hours a week to pay my bills and have marketing budget was pretty crazy, actually. <laughs> so it's not too uh, bad. It's not bad at all. It was growing. It's growing like 10% month over month by itself. God bless. Uh, and so all of a sudden, it was like all my friends who looked at the numbers, you know, back before the acquisition finalized when I was still able to talk about them, they were like, you're crazy. Like, purely based on MRR and, and profit and, and multiple and all that. But, you know, the tool was risky, right? Um, so I was okay with taking lower numbers. Like, I don't treat it like your usual SaaS exit because, you know, YouTube's putting out A-B testing. So the core functionality of the platform, the core feature that everything is based off of is hilariously competitive. Uh, with the platform you're building With the for, platform right? itself. <laughs> yes. So I was like, yeah, okay. You know, like, uh, uh, f- fair enough. I'm probably not getting any crazy numbers on this guy. Uh, Dude, I, I think you made the absolute right choice. Like, and, and this, this is my personal opinion, obviously. Right. And first of all, thank you for sharing this in, in such emotional candor and depth. Uh, I, I, f- I feel it resonate with a very, very deep part of myself as well. Cause I had the exact same experience selling feedback panda. Like that was our baby. That was the thing that we built relationships with. It's the thing that allowed me to be part of a community and to to have something to show for. And through that, you know, the sale it, it was it was very taxing emotionally, just like what you explained. And it was taxing in a in a grieving grieving way. There's grief in in losing this, in selling it, and giving it to somebody else. And and I I don't know if this is going to help you or not, but I still occasionally feel it that grief. But I look at it, I look back at it, and I see where I am now because of it. Not because of the the business, but because of the sale and everything beyond that that came from moving up one step, right? And that shows me that I made the right choice. And I think you are at the precipice of this with the project that you're working on. And give it a couple months, and you're going to look back at this, hopefully, and see, oh, yeah. So there, that's the step. Now I can see the step because I'm one step above, you know, 
I I very much understand how you feel right now and in what in a situation that you're in because it is it is a weird thing. Like whoever does this kind of stuff, right? Whoever builds something from nothing that is uniquely it's it's an identity thing, right? It's a part of you. You built this, you are it for a while. And then you give it away. It's like ripping out a a, a part of your body and handing it to somebody else. But in a way, it is not. And you only see that after the fact. So for, for everybody who's listening or watching and, and feeling the same way, my personal experience shows me that it is a stage that just like all stages of everything you overcome eventually, but it is a very emotionally taxing stage. Did you ever get to a point where you were like, I'm going to, I'm going to revert this. I'm going to cancel and scrub the whole thing. Yeah. Three minutes before I signed the paper. <laughs> <laughs> my the guy acquiring it he was like oh dude film yourself like when you sign the paper like you'll be so happy just crying signing the i paper. signed it and i didn't say a single i only felt bad and that's the thing this whole time i've i've only felt bad and you know for a long time it was kind of easy to understand why especially when i had no money and i hadn't gotten paid and it was like yeah i i haven't gotten a single dopamine hit and it's like, yeah, for the first time in my life, my bank account has a six-digit number in it. You know, doesn't start with a crazy digit, but it's a six-digit number. <laughs> uh, uh, it's, but all it feels like, like it feels more like some relief from the pain I was feeling, as opposed to like a victory. You know, and that's the thing. Like, it doesn't feel like a win. And I don't think it'll ever feel like a win. Like it, it feels at most like an escape. And I think I had two months worth of graduation goggles on it, you know, because it also like only started blowing up right as I went to sell it, you know? So for the longest time, the decision to sell was based on it not blowing up and everything. And I can go back and forth. I could read you. I wrote this whole thing that I didn't post because I wanted to like, you know, work on it more, but I wrote this like, deeply sad you know plan for the twitter thread of like why i sold thumbnail test and i'll I'll tell you the first six words in the why i sold thumbnail test uh it says how i feel awful heartbroken destroyed that's the first six words of this post that i wrote solid lead (laughs) yeah huge lead uh <laughs> at some point it says am i an idiot i think so <laughs> um, i get it yeah honestly i get it I, I i because that's also the thing with being an indie hacker or a founder that doesn't have like a massive team i mean you had opti that's a developer right and you have a you have a partner she also gets the the solo uh entrepreneurial life but it's it's hard because it's all on you. Like the choices are all on you too. That's the thing, right? You have to make all these choices about things that you just have no idea about. What's the future going to look like? What's YouTube going to do? Like, are they going to eat it? Are they going to buy it? Probably not. Who knows? But then you have to deal with all these things as well. Man, I, I think that that's that's what I mean with looking at it in retrospect a couple months from now. It it feel while you're in the trenches, it feels incredibly stressful and it is stressful because it's literally creating physical stress that that is also my experience but somebody has to make these choices and stand behind them and you you don't really have much of of guidance that you can take anywhere people look at your mrr and tell you you should keep doing it that that is really not advice that that makes any sense at all right because there's so much more to a business than just the numbers and where they're going 
Right? There's your physical and mental well-being. There's the potential of something happening. You know, Feedback Panda, what happened to, to the business like six months after we sold it? it? It just flatlined because China introduced regulation that if, if forbade people from teaching English online in China that if they were not in China physically. So all those people that we sold our business to or we sold our subscription um, to our SaaS to who were employed by a Chinese company who sourced English-speaking teachers from all over the world, they lost their job. And with losing their job, they lost the need for a product. Nobody could have known this. Like we sold at a point where I thought like, oh man, this is growing again, five to 10% month of a month. We could keep doing this and run it for another year. And then we would have like twice the amount of money. And you know, all these thoughts, you probably are having them right now at this point, but we sold, we were pretty heartbroken as well. Because again, it's even in our case, like it was literally me and my girlfriend building something and giving it away. Right, the whole baby analogy is was very viscerally felt at that point. Like we built this over, you know, fifteen months. <laughs> it's a bit long for for a virtual pregnancy, but it it you know it it was something that we built together, and nobody else was part of this. This was our thing. We gave it away. We got money for it, which is weird. And then we we saw it, we just we saw it crumble at some later point, and we were like, wow, that was a good choice. Right? Because you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. And that's like, I keep telling myself that, you know, and that like. Now I'm telling you too. <laughs> yeah. And like, it, it's sort of this weird emptiness of like, you're just putting everything on the next thing. Like, you're putting everything into the future. And, you know, I had like a quote in here from God, I don't even know. Uh, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Uh, and that was like really a lot of the rationale behind this. Um, yeah. And a lot of people say like, if you do it once you've like, if you've done it once you can do it again, which I want to believe, but emotionally have no way to do so. Cause it doesn't feel like I did anything to blow thumbnail test <laughs> up. It feels like it just blew up. But, oh, that's funny that, because that's you, you like some part of you knows exactly that you're completely wrong with this, right? This is all you're doing. Like, one guy made a video and then the tool blew up. But without the tool, the video would not have been made, right? It's, it's like with, without, like I, I, I watched, um, you getting the shout out by, by Ali Abdal about the, the tool as well and getting some traction from that. Like there is so much of a, of a rat tail of decisions and things that you have to do before those things happen. And these are all the things that you did. And these are all the choices that you made. Like without you and your capacity and your action, none of this would have happened. So don't sell yourself short on that part. I, I, I get it. Like giving up this thing feels like you, you have this tabula rasa moment where you're standing in, in front of nothing and now you have to do it all over again. I, I remember this moment in 2019 after we sold. Like I was like, well, no, what, what am I going to do now? So I, I kind of went to WordPress.com <laughs> and started the blog. That's where it started for me. I just started writing because I, I didn't know I, I'm not going to build another SaaS. I was just burned out from SaaS. I was burned out from coding. I'm not going to code again. And here I am right now building two SaaS at the same time. But you know, that's a different story. Like it, it, it comes back to you when it needs to. And it's hard to, to be able to wait for that moment 
Because that's also a thing. I, I don't know how you experience this right now, but like in, in building the business, you spend 24 seven building that business. And then you have this acquisition period where you spend like, what is it? Like 48 seven, <laughs> you know, you spend two days worth of time every single day, both in running the business and making it acquirable. And then you hit this wall of the exit, you give it away and then you have nothing to do. How are you dealing with that? Not well. <laughs> I mean, it helps to like be jumping right into the next thing. But again, there's like not paperwork. So it's like I'm jumping into the next thing, but the foundation is shaky right now. You know, like it's very tough. You work with a big creator, like, you know, I don't wanna it's 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 just that attention thing, you know? Like when things are nascent, less time is spent. When things are like less visible, less flashy, less time is spent, you know, and, and that's a lot of why I kept like flying out the creators in the UK. Like I, I flew out to London a few times because I'm very cognizant of this. Like, you know, busy people have very, uh, have a lot of difficulty with object permanence. You know, if you're not in front of their face, you kind of don't exist. Uh, and so you got to just keep finding a way to be right there. Um, you know, and so they'll be in the U S soon. And so I'm going to fly over there and I'm just going to, you know, every day I can get in front of them is a, is a, is a valuable day. Um, but it's very close. And, and I think, speed running to my next win is like the only thing I can emotionally do, which has even become tough. Cause again, like a few of those things that like weren't super clear in the paperwork on like the acquisition or something, like how much I'm allowed to talk to my existing customers or like reach back out and things where it was like, originally I thought we were going to do one thing, but now it looks like I might not be able to do all those things and technically X, Y, and Z, like which maybe affects my future businesses, uh, which really sucks. So again, it's like, it's a lot of blows, you know, it's a lot of hits. Um, but, you know, again, it's my decision. Like, I chose to do this. You know, this is, I, I signed the paperwork. I'm not like, ah, woe is me. I made a bunch of money, you know? Uh, but, yeah, it absolutely feels terrible across the board. Like, I feel no victories. And I think the only way I will start to feel any sort of victory is by just building the next thing and building it very quickly. And so, like, I have a couple, like, one or two YouTube tools that I have in mind where I'm like, okay, cool. I have the audience now. It should be much easier for me to get a product out into the world like this. Um, and you know, start selling it to that community and I can make something higher priced. And, you know, even if it's like a month or two from now, I'm sitting on three or four K MRR. It's like, cool. Something's there. Something's growing. Something's happening and I'm not losing a bunch of money on it. Like, cause in this moment I am, I am without in this moment. I am empty and it is a deep, deep darkness that comes from this. And all I can think about is what I left behind. And all I can think about is what I've lost because currently all I've gained is a number and that number hasn't magically changed my life. And I don't feel particularly comfortable going and spending a bunch of it because it's all I have. Oh man, 100% exact same experience, maybe a different number, but same experience. I I remember that. Like we we looked at the bank account and we're like, so do we have to buy champagne now for some reason? Because we really didn't want to. <laughs> and, and then we we bought like the cheap stuff because like <laughs> want to keep we want to keep that number. And it's like yeah, uh, the the purpose, pr the lack of purpose that you describe. I know I know the void. I know the feeling of the void, and I know the the fear of what next. Uh, the I think I mean if your character is I need to jump into the next thing to to find that meaning again. That's what you got to do. 
And I'm, I'm obviously I'm not a therapist, and I'm, <laughs> I can't really help you with this. But although I wish I I would, but even just in in hearing you talk about it, it feels like you need to make, you need to do, you need to build, you need to find people's feedback. And what I've seen you do in the past is you you just do it in public in front of people, so you can feel the resonance, you can feel the community gathering steam around topics projects, products, whatever it is. And I think you're at 16,000 followers on Twitter or X as the cool kids call it now. I think that is a sizable audience that you should just keep tapping into for these things. Like I, I it's they're there. People are and that's the thing. People don't judge you for selling a business. Like everybody who follows you probably wants to sell a business like you just did. Like you, you will not be judged for this and you will not, you will also not be judged for being just honest with people and telling them, Hey, I, I don't know what to do. That's fine. Like most of us go through life in the state of, I don't know what to do. Right. So th- this being a, a setback, I get it. It feels like it. I, it's not, but it definitely feels like it. So. Just you keep doing this, man. Just keep building the things that you're interested in and are legally allowed to build, I guess, at this point. And and do it in front of the people who already care a lot about you, me included. I love watching you do these things. And I've I've loved watching you code. So that if, if you pick up the stream at any point, building whatever, I I'll be there. Right? Is 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 that in the future for you? Are you gonna get back to streaming at some point? Probably not. I might get back into content. I think streaming made a lot of sense when I was programming, but streaming is also kind of this giant build in public. So if I'm especially going into a phase where I don't get to build in public as much with as many things, probably a lot less. And, you know, I got to be careful because I have a tendency to talk, you know, I'm like Tom Holland with Spider-Man, you know, (laughs) I got to be real careful not to say this or that. And I don't ever know what I can or what I can't. And, and, Try to try to be good at that now, which sucks. Again, it sucks so much. That's my least favorite thing in the world. But, you know, if I go stream, I'm going to want to do that. But what I might do is like, you know, my old streaming buddies, we've been chatting about like maybe getting back together for some like events or doing like skits and stuff. And so, you know, there might be fun, funny things coming out for me, but probably, probably less of the actual coding, actual like long stream anything. But, you know, uh, I, I think about streaming like most people talk about World of Warcraft. You know, you uh, you never really quit. You just take longer breaks. I <laughs> <laughs> mean, you, you're you're hitting the the nail on the head here. Like I occasionally log in every week to you know do some LFR, get some stuff going. But yeah, it's uh, it it is it is the the thing that you just cannot shake, right? Like you you can't shake like the the act of it because it's just enjoyable, and I enjoyed watching you. Honestly, I enjoy you where wherever you are. Right on on the podcast that you go to the your Twitter stuff your anything you do is uh, your work is it's just a spectacular thing to watch. So I will keep following you. I will keep uh, supporting and motivating you even through this valley of darkness that you're in. I, it, it's it's there. It's real, and you're also there and real. And you're gonna get through it. I know, and I'm gonna help you as much as I can. I'm gonna watch you go through and come out uh, in sh- shining armor on the other side. If people wanna get to follow you as well and join you on your journey towards the next thing. Where do you want them to go? Twitter. Twitter is my number one at rocks codes with R O X codes. Uh, if you want to do me a huge favor, 
Google the word rocks. Google R-O-X and then scroll until you see my Twitter and then click my Twitter. I'm really trying to get that SEO uh, so that I can... Uh, I want to be the first thing or like the second thing when you Google rocks. Uh, one of them is a charity. The charity could be number one. I just yeah, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> I still have you number two in every country. So uh, please Google R-O-X and then find my Twitter rocks codes. Uh, yeah, I mean, genuinely, that's it. Like I'm on Twitter all the time. I tweet pretty much every day unless I'm actively in a period of being acquired and negotiating mm-hmm. stuff where I'm not yeah. allowed to freaking talk about anything, man. <laughs> uh, so I gotta go go dark, but yeah. Um, yeah, and if you got cool stuff, reach out. My website is rocks.codes. So, you know, there's an email out there. If you ever want to pitch me on anything cool, and uh, yeah, you got any cool YouTube tools ideas, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate you sharing all of this with me and and going going to dark places, going to light places, going everywhere. Uh, all over the map with me today. I really appreciate it. And again, you you get this, you get through this, and you're gonna come out a very very cool uh, trendsetter in the uh, software entrepreneur slash creator world that is even just starting to blossom out there. It's really cool. Thank you so much for sharing everything today. I'm so man. Thank you. Great chatting appreciate- as always. Of course, appreciate it. And that's it for today. I will now briefly thank my sponsor, Acquire.com. Imagine this, you're a founder who's built a really solid SaaS product, you acquired all those customers, and everything is generating really consistent monthly recurring revenue. That's the dream of every SaaS founder, right? Problem is, you're not growing for whatever reason. Maybe it's lack of skill or lack of focus or lack of interest. You don't know. You just feel stuck in your business with your business. What should you do? Well, the story that I would like to hear is that you buckled down, you reignited the fire, and you started working on the business, not just in the business. And all those things you did, like audience building and marketing and sales and outreach, they really helped you to go down this road, six months down the road, making all that money. You tripled your revenue and you have this hyper-successful business. That is the dream. The reality, unfortunately, is not as simple as this. And the situation that you might find yourself in is looking different for every single founder who is facing this crossroad. This problem is common, but it looks different every time. But what doesn't look different every time is the story that here just ends up being one of inaction and stagnation. Because the business becomes less and less valuable over time and then eventually completely worthless if you don't do anything. So if you find yourself here, already at this point, or you think your story is likely headed down a similar road, I would consider a third option, and that is selling a business on acquire.com. Because you capitalizing on the value of your time today is a pretty smart move. It's certainly better than not doing anything. And acquire.com is free to list. They've helped hundreds of founders already. Just go check it out at try.acquire.com slash Arvid, me, and see for yourself if this is the right option for you, your business at this time. You might just want to wait a bit and see If it works out half a year from now or a year from now, just check it out. It's always good to be in the know. Thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Founder today. I really appreciate that. You can find me on Twitter at Avidkal, A-R-V-E-D-K-A-H-L. And you find my books and my Twitter course there too. If you want to support me and this show, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. Get the podcast in your podcast player of choice, whatever that might be. Do let me know. It would be interesting to see. And leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. It really makes a big difference if you show up there because then this podcast shows up in other people's feeds. And that's, I think, where we all would like it to be, just helping other people learn and see and understand new things. Any of this will help the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day. 
and bye-bye.